0: All right. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. So good to see you. I tell you what, um, this is a privilege for me to be here with you and uh, listening to the announcements. It made me think about you know the, the years we have been privileged to to be a part of the college ministry. Years ago, we we haven't done it a lot, probably in the past ten years or so. We were younger, and our kids were really little. Uh, we we had we were involved in the college ministry. We had like the pool party. I think it was mentioned like where that, several of those were at our house. We had like set up a movie screen and did like a float-in movie, you know, outdoor movie kind of thing. It was fun. I just remember um, just the the privilege of having these college kids in our in our house. And Elizabeth, my wife, and I are both from. Uh, um, Christian homes, and, and, you know, our testimony would, you know, maybe another story for another day, but um, we both, I went to Alabama, she went to Ole Miss, and we were both involved in RUF, which is our denomination's college ministry, so we've always been uh, really excited about opportunities uh, to interact with with college students, and um, what's really, I'll have to say, though, as I get up this morning and look around the room, what is really freaking me out right now is that I know a lot of you, and you're now in college. And that's freaking me out. Because when I was helping with college ministry, we felt so old, and, and our kids were little, and now the kids were like, whenever, and I taught, there were times when I taught in college class, you know, in Briarwood years past, that I was all like these like sea of like college kids, you know, and my kids were now obviously like brothers and sisters and friends of my kids around, and this is freaking me out. So... Which means officially I'm old at this point, which is okay. I guess as you get older, you know th- there are some benefits to come come with that. Um, I, I do want to um, give you though just uh, 30 seconds maybe of, of just who I am, so you you, you know you appreciate the introduction uh, that Mark and gave me and Mark and Heather uh, just great great family. We love them and they they've been. Uh, there's been a, a group of young couples that we had for years in our house, and they were part of that. And um, so, so really awesome to see um, their involvement now with you. And uh, just, again, so you know, uh, we've been here, and I'm not from Birmingham originally. I'm uh, from Georgia, was in the Army for a number of years, moved around, eventually came back, settled here, got out of the Army, uh, went to law school, um, and now I'm a lawyer in town. Been here about 20 years or so. That sounds weird to say, also. Um, but we've got three kids. My wife is Elizabeth. She went to Ole Miss. I went to Alabama. Went to Georgia for law school. Um, our three kids are Nicholas. Some of y'all know uh, Nicholas is, in, is at Auburn. Uh, Anna Reed is a rising senior at, at Briarwood School. And um, Abigail is a rising seventh grader. So uh, we're, we're happy uh, to be here, glad to be here with you. And, you know, w- there may be times. Um, now that I have like kind of an in, you know, with the college pastor, maybe we'll we'll do some, some more stuff going forward now that we've got room to breathe, for, for honestly. I mean, the, part of the reason, you know, you get out of college ministries because when their kids are little, it's easy to like, you know, they go to bed at seven and it's easy to kind of do stuff. And now it's, you know, for 10 years, it's been not easy to do anything because we've had kids all over the place. And you have been those some of those kids. Um, but uh, so he, here's what I want to do. Um, I want to spend some time, we're, we're going to look at a passage, uh, uh, several passages, and I won't make you turn all over the place, but here's what I want to spend some time with this morning. And because I only have one shot, um, I thought, rather than just pick just a passage, I wanted to pick um, a concept and and do and talk about through the lens of, of Scripture, our only rule in faith and practice in life, um, about... What it means to be—let um, hey, me, let me ask this question. So, any of you ever feel like you're not, you're not close to God? You ever feel like, I want to be close to God? What does it mean to be close to God? Sometimes you feel like you're really close to God, and then there are times when you feel like you're not. Um, but if you could focus on the concept that is, really sits above and over your feelings any given day about where you are in your relationship with the Lord— um, it would be basically a declaration that God puts on you and says, you, daughter, you, son, are, are close to me. So regardless of how you feel. And there is a, uh, a declaration that God has made uh, over a particular man in Scripture that I want to use as a lens to explore that. And that, that man is one of my favorites in Scripture. And my kids... If they were here, they would be rolling their eyes right now because they always like, Dad, what are you teaching on today? Are you going to teach on King David? Which is one of my favorite, past, my, my favorite uh, uh, characters, and I, and I will say, yes, I am teaching on King David, and it's going to be King David that I want to look at. So does anybody know, um, before David became king, what God said about David before he, e- before God even named through the prophet Samuel, before he even named who it would be, in other words, it would be David, before he even said his name, does anybody know what, what quality that God declared over this man? That he will be a man what? Anybody have an idea? After my, own heart. after my own heart. A man after my own heart. Exactly right. So in... In 1 Samuel, and I'm going to give us a little bit of background here about who we're talking about. Everybody's heard of King David, but I want to give maybe a couple of minutes of background. All right, so King Saul was the first king of Israel. Okay, We're talking about the time in Israel's life where they have uh, been brought up out of slavery um, through God's leadership uh, in Moses, wander the desert, came into the promised land, um, lived through the period of the judges, meaning there wasn't a king, there wasn't like a, a ruling class. There were just leaders God would raise up to deal with, with certain phases of Israel's life. And at some point, and we we're, I'm get, not going to get into a history lesson here, but but it's all in 1 Samuel, if you want to read it and kind of see the sequence. But at some point, the, the Israelites asked for a king. And I'm not going to get into all that because there, there's different you know scholarship on both sides about you know, was that totally terrible? Was it evil? Was it not evil to ask for an earthly king when God had been their king and led them? But bottom line is God relented. He said, okay, I'm going to give you a king. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to raise this man up. And his name was Saul, King Saul. But you probably, if you spent time, you know, around the Bible, you probably know that it, that Saul, during his reign, um, really just took a nosedive as a leader. And and so God raised up another leader to replace uh the the king from saul's family to david's family and then when he raised up and put david in the king uh in the seat of the king he actually came to david during david's kingship and and gave him a promise and the promise was and we call this this is called the davidic covenant this is part of another iteration of god's covenant with his people Um, and that is in second samuel chapter seven you can look at that later but god came to david and he said I'm going to make your house stand forever. I'm going to come... It is through your house. I will never let um, your house leave the kingdom, and it's through your house that I will bless, and I'll bring a Savior. And it's called... Again, it's it's this beautiful declaration of God coming to David when David had basically said, Hey, I want to do something for the Lord now that I've gotten rest from all my enemies. I want to build a house for the Lord and uh, build a a, a massive temple. And, uh, And God says, basically through the prophet, says, No... I don't need you to build me a house. I've always made my house with you. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to make your house stand forever. And we know that by, by God's promise there and throughout the prophets and throughout, the, you see in the New Testament, that God fulfilled that promise in sending his son, Jesus, to be a direct descendant of King David. Now, all that is background to why did God choose David and what was, what was going on in the transition? And so, the verse I want us to start with and kind of use as an anchor verse here, and this is is 1 Samuel chapter 13. So, if you want to turn to 1 Samuel 13, we're going to actually be kind of stepping around in 13, 14, and 15 today. All right. So, Saul had been leading the people well, and we'll get to that in a minute. But Saul had done something really, really foolish and really sinful. And what he did was he, did, he, he decided to perform a sacrifice before a, a battle without having the prophet Samuel there with him. And that was part of what the obligations were, the responsibilities that God had put on the, the, the way that sacrifices were to be made. And so Samuel got impatient, excuse me, Saul got impatient, did it, sinned, Samuel came to him. And this was the first time. There's two times. This is the first time that God said to Saul, you know what, you're not going to be king anymore um, because of what you've done, the way you're, you're tracking here. And this is what he said. Um, this is 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So listen to that. This is through the prophet. God is making this public declaration of this is what this is what is true of the man I'm going to raise up. He's a man after my own heart. So let's just take that in for a second. What does it mean? That, that is a that is, there couldn't be a bigger statement about the quality of someone and what they're like. He is a man after God's own heart. And what I want to do this morning is to actually walk through and see what does Scripture reveal to us about what that means, okay? Because let me spoil it for you and tell you what it does not mean because it's very easy to read this. And I've even seen commentators that write about this And it's very, in in this direction, it's very easy to read that and go, oh, okay, I kind of get the general gist of this. It's like Saul was good, but then he became bad. He started disobeying God, and he didn't trust God. And so Saul got bad, and then God needed to bring a good man in. And so David is the good man. And David, because he's a man after God's own heart, that must mean that David is better, meaning that David is somehow um, more valiant, Um, he's got better leadership qualities, and here's the important part. It must mean that David was more obedient to God, and and he didn't have as much sin in his life, okay? Because Saul was sinful, okay? So, Saul... So, it's easy to look at this narrative and say, wow, okay, well, that just means to be a man after God's own heart, I've got to Wow, I've got, because Saul was sinful and then David must have been good, I've got to really try and white-knuckle it and I've got to try harder to be a man or or a woman after God's own heart. And while the Bible does, you know, God's Word calls us to, well, God Himself through His Word calls us to perfect obedience. He does. We are called to obedience. There is no doubt about that. Jesus... Says in his teaching in the New Testament, you know, unless your righteousness surpasses those of the Pharisees, which are like the most righteous people of their day. I mean, they have kept all kinds of, they made up rules to keep. They, they were keeping rules and then made up more rules. Unless you're better than them, you're not coming into the kingdom of heaven. What did Jesus mean by that? We'll get to that. But obedience is is paramount. God's and Jesus said, if you're my friends, if you do what I command. So I don't want to make. A, I don't want. I want to be careful here. I'm not saying. Obedience is not important, but what I'm, what I do want to say is, it cannot be true that to be a man after God's own heart, that means that you're just you've got less sin in your heart in, in your life than somebody else. That that's not that's not the case. It's just not the case with David. How do we know that? Um, again, we're, I'm going to cover a lot of stuff today. I'm not going to make a turn everywhere, but we're all going to look at a, a, a specific passage. But David here's what I want to want to challenge you with. It's easy to, re- to read a few things and get a narrative in your head like that, but I want us to look at what Scripture actually says about these two men. What makes David a man after God's own heart when clearly Saul was not? And so, the first thing we see is I want to show you how similar the early days of their kingdoms were. And this is important because there's a big difference here we're going to get to, but it's not that not that David was... Just you know, a little more obedient. That's not that's not going to be the uh, the result. So Saul and David, they were both chosen. If you look in chapter nine of First Samuel and chapter thirteen, you'll see they were both chosen by God. I mean, God chose these men. Um, this is chapter nine. Uh, he's God's talking to Samuel. The Lord had revealed to Samuel, "Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince for my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of Philistines, for I've seen my people because their cries come to me." That's talking about Saul. So that's Saul. And then you got you got the same thing in chapter thirteen, where we talks talks about we just read part of it. We talks about uh, about David becoming chosen by God. Well, then next in verse in uh, chapter ten, verse one. We're talking back to Saul again. Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, so he's anointing Saul. Okay. Later in chapter ten, in Saul, the Lord, the the spirit, the spirit of the Lord rushed on to to Saul. The spirit of the Lord rushed on to David. Okay. This we have. Um, in, in this is later in chapter 10, "...the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man." Verse 9, when he, "...when he turned his back to leave..." This is Saul. "...when Saul turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart." And so, we, we've got Saul. That's how Saul's reign began. Same thing with David. Um, David, it says, and this is in chapter um, chapter 16, uh, when when God when finally um, Samuel came to the house of Jesse and was looking at the sons and he thought oh the first one he saw the oldest really you know big you know star quarterback type of, of guy and uh, he said he Samuel thought surely the Lord's anointed is before him but the Lord said to Samuel do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him for the Lord sees not as a man sees man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. And at that point, in that, that meeting is where, uh, th- through Samuel, God anointed David. So you have this uh, series of events where, you know, in both of their reigns, and I could, we could we won't spend time to do it, but I could show you where the Scripture clearly says, these men were used by God to lead the nation in valiant battles and to protect them and to put to rest all of, all of the Philistines, all of their enemies, and basically sat down in their success and, like, they were, like, on top of the world. Yes, militarily and politically. Saul, that was true of Saul. David, that was true of David. Now, um, so a lot of tracking of the same. Um, Here's also what you see, interestingly. They both become very arrogant in their rule. There are things that Saul did and things that David did that were very, very arrogant. Again, they got some success. All of a sudden, they started losing their, their, their mooring to where does this success come from? Saul, we just read about Saul. I mean, he did things like, I'm going to just do this sacrifice real quick because I need God to bless my battle, and Samuel's not here, so I'm going to... Well, that's rank arrogance. You know, you're not going to wait on the Lord like you were told. David, a lot of arrogance. I mean, David had to be held back a lot of times from killing people um, and slaughtering them, and sometimes he did it. And then later in his life, he actually did this very evil thing, where he, because he wanted to count all of his possessions and his numbers and his kingdom, he did a, he performed a census, I meaning you know, like accounting of his kingdom, like, all stuff that just like completely arrogant. Here's the other thing, both of them, and we're, we're paralleling these these two guys right now. Okay, so so here's the other thing, they both had ridiculous. And I say ridiculous. I, maybe I should say it differently. They both had very heinous sins in their life that were publicly recorded for us in Scripture. A couple of them we're going to see here. We're going to focus on one in just a minute with Saul and David, and we're going to use that as sort of our pivot point to see, okay, what is it that makes one of these men a man after God's own heart? Is it that one of them, one of them, didn't sin as bad as the other? Is that it? The answer is no. If you're going to see that it's not. In fact, you can make a good case. I mean, you, Saul. We, we've talked about some of his sins. We, we know David's sins, don't we? These are pretty famous. If you've, if you've grown up around the church, even and even a little bit, you probably know. Like, what is one of the big sins in David's life? Bathsheba. Bathsheba, committing adultery with Bathsheba after he had been king and successful. Not only that, but David. I mean, it's, it's very likely, I mean, essentially, that, is, that essentially was a rape, okay? I don't know if y'all realize that or not, but when the king sends for a woman, the woman has no choice in the matter, okay? So this is not just, they met at a party and kind of got flirtatious. It, it's way more heinous than that. And then, what happens after he gets her pregnant? Then what does he do? Anybody know? He kills her husband. Okay, so we've got adultery, rape, murder. That's King David. So far, does it sound like he's got less sin than Saul? I think you can make a good point, a good case that his are worse. I think you could make a good... I'm not trying to make too hard an argument on that, but I think it's really a good argument to make. What is different about these two guys? Well, um... I want to use that that pivot point of the, those two sins to talk about this. Um, here's here's what: no matter which guy we're talking about, they're both susceptible to the frailty of their human heart. That is, um, even even though when even when we are a believer in Christ, we have given our life to Him, we have indwelling sin that still plagues us, and we have some spring-loaded reactions in life. And that one of those is to to, to believe that our way is best, okay, that, that our way is best, that we think, and, and a lot of times we do that off of our senses and our feelings, okay? Now, don't hear me say that emotions are bad because of, God has emotions. Emotions are, emotions are emotions. They just are. And so your emotions in your life, they're, they're absolutely real. But that does not mean that they always tell you the truth. See, your emotions don't always tell the truth. They're real, but they don't always give you good advice. Um, when when I was... Uh, one of the things I did in the Army, I flew Apache helicopters. And so one of the things that we did... Th- there were attack helicopters. Most of what we were doing was at night on the trees. but there, So we weren't flying instruments like at high altitudes. But we, I had to qualify every year that you have to be instrument qualified. And instruments means you're flying without looking outside. So you fly through the clouds and look at um, things... You know, on your in, your instrument panel, it tells you, like, the, the way your your aircraft is tilting, the, your, your airspeed, your altitude, um, whether you're gaining and losing. And, and you have all these things, and you can't see but just that. So you have to trust your instruments. Well, the problem with that that you can run into is that your body has a sense of balance because the way God made us is that we've got—it's called the vestibular system. And part of the your system in your ears and your head is you've got these three different— I, now I'm, I'm geeking out here on um, now you've got three different semicircle canals in your ear with fluid and they all balance you and if they get screwed up then they give you wrong information and you can get you can get totally have vertigo you have all this stuff but it's understanding um, you know what what to trust when you can't see the horizon when you can't have a visual cue okay? Well, the first time I went into the clouds as a student, that was as I was in, still in flight school, and it was like a really cloudy day. We'd been learning instruments. I thought, this is great. You know, like I know I'm such a trust my instruments, and we're going to go fly in the clouds for real, not just have like a hood on, but like you just can't see because you're flying through the clouds. So we fly into the clouds one day, and literally it's probably, you know, 700 feet off the deck, and we fly into the clouds. And all of a sudden it got really weird and peaceful and like white everywhere. And I'm like, okay, don't look at the white. Look at the instruments. I've got to. I've been trained, you know. I got to trust my instruments, and I'm, I'm flying. I'm really quiet, you know. Like I'm just like I'm sweating, you know. I'm like looking at my instruments, and it's like really peaceful. And this is my attitude indicator, which is the main big thing that shows you like your gr- air, like you know, um, ground, sky, middle where your wings need to be level. And all of a sudden, my wings started doing this on the instruments. And to me, I'm like, this is really peaceful. Like, why are my instruments doing that? I kept doing this. And finally I'm like, okay, (laughs) all right. I gotta trust my instruments. Okay, you say, so I gotta put you know, put the controls in this way and make, you know, level them back out. And I'm sweating and trying to get these things in. And by the time I got the the wings level, I'm gonna bar this chair here. By the time I got the wings level, in the cockpit, I was sitting, I was sitting like this okay I was flying I literally sat here for like 15 minutes flying like this and I was watching those instruments but man I was keeping it right steady but why was I sitting like this because to me this felt normal this felt like I was right side up I had the, my body was doing this to make me feel like I was right side up if I had flown the airplane trusting in the way that I felt I would have felt fine, and the aircraft would have been spiraling toward the ground. Because instead of me being over like this, based on my feelings, I would have been like this based on my feelings, thinking I'm right, and the aircraft would have been like that and been spiraling toward the ground. Now, why do I bring that up? Because neither one of these men, even though David was a man after God's own heart, He was just as susceptible to that false narrative that you get from your heart. When you decide that your feelings and your ideas are better and going to lead you better than what you know to be the Word of God, this is the only thing. And if, it does, if your feelings don't match up with what God says, there is a, a mountain or a ground waiting on you in a death spin. Because that's the answer. Your feelings don't always tell you the truth. God always tells you the truth. And it's the objective standard outside of yourself. But David and Saul both were susceptible. And I do that only to emphasize that. Okay, to emphasize that, again, this isn't a lesson about let's be like David. I mean, I do want to do that, but by God's grace, we'll see what that means. But it's not because he was a little bit better. All right, so we know, um, we just talked about this this um, sin that Saul had. And I want to read a a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I'm going to have to really abbreviate this because of our time. But this is another example of Saul's sin. Okay, so Saul, God had commanded them to wipe out uh, a, a group of people called the Amalekites. And there's a reason, I don't want to get into the history of it. I mean, I'm happy to talk to you after class. I know it sounds harsh, but God says, I want you to wipe out everything I want you to kill every man, every woman, every child, every animal. I want you to burn everything. I do do not leave anything from these people left. And there's a reason for that. God had a reason for it. These people years ago had, had completely pummeled the Israelites coming out of. They, they had ambushed them and treated them viciously, and God was meeting out His judgment on these people. So that is that is true, and that is what was going on. But the point is, God gave Sam, uh, Saul a command and was to do this. So Saul goes out, they have the battle, they wipe them out. Um, I mean, it's a decisive victory, but what Saul does is he keeps the king alive, the, the uh, Agag is the king of, of um, the Amalekites, and keeps the riches, keeps the best livestock. Okay. So all the stuff that wasn't as good, they burned, killed a lot of other people, but like, they kept some... You, you see what he did. So he basically went and he got his victory, but then he didn't do what God said. He kept some of the best things. Now there's a reason for that too. In that culture, there are things he kept to make himself look good. You know that he has credibility. You know that he has, um, um, you know, sh- street uh, street cred in a sense. Like, hey, I'm a lo- look, look at me. Like I've got a king and chains. I've got their gold. I mean, this is something that you do in that culture, that's normal. But That wasn't what God commanded. And so when when Samuel came after the battle, listen to what what Samuel um, said. Now, Saul knew he hadn't obeyed the voice of the Lord. But it says, And Samuel came to Saul. Saul said to him, This is verse 13 of chapter 15. This is Saul. Saul says, Blessed to you, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? I mean, you hear what he's doing? He's like very sarcastically saying, Well, if you've done what the Lord said, why do I hear these animals in in the background? You're supposed to kill all those. So listen a little bit later in in verse um, starting in 19. And here's what I want you to see. There's a, there's a series of things that Saul does in response to being confronted with his sin. We are all confronted with our sin by the very existence of God and by His Word and by those who he might send to us that might do a more specific job of, of doing that. But there, there are three things that Saul did in order, and I want us to see them briefly here. Verse 19, "'Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord?' Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil on the side of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, there's three things. The first one, here's the first one. Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Can, I mean, can you believe that? And I do that all the time. I make it up in my mind like I'm doing the right thing. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone in the mission in which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of uh, Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, the people took the spoil the sheep and the ox and the best things. And, and so, so, number one, he says, I just want to defy reality. I, I, I did obey. Okay? Now we're getting into the second one. He says, It's the people. The people took the spoil the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. I mean, listen, he's kind of changing and he's kind of like saying, Lord, I know you said to do this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to go one better for you, God. I'm going to go one better. You said to kill them. How about I don't kill them and I keep the best just to sacrifice to you, Lord? I mean, I'm going to help you out, God. And it's not even my fault because the people are the ones who, I mean, the people did it. I didn't do it. Okay, I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm embellishing this. I mean, that's what he said. Now, number three. Saul said to Samuel, But I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, this is verse 24. Please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret that he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he, meaning Saul, said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people. You see what's going on here is he's like, the third thing is like, okay, okay. I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, maybe I did, but it wasn't my fault. It was the people's fault. Okay, well, maybe, okay, I'm responsible and I did sin. But third, just I don't want to lose my reputation. Make me look good. So you've got to, you'd have to understand the culture here, but he, he needed Samuel to go back with him to give him credibility as the monarch. You know, like we're going together, the monarch and the, and the prophet, to have this, this return to the main camp and have the sacrifices. He, he, want, he needed Samuel to help his reputation. So like, I kind of want to repent, but I need you to make me look good. That is what I'm mostly concerned about. Now... Um, it shouldn't be lost on us, by the way, that one of the things that Samuel did in this, and this isn't what this lesson is about, but if you look in verse 33, Samuel said, (laughs) Samuel said, bring that king out. You know, the king you didn't kill, bring him out. And all these Israelites are arrayed. He said, bring him out. And the Bible says, Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. God is not to be trifled with, and His word is not to be trifled with, and He is serious about what he says, because he is the triune, holy God of the universe. He has made us. He has made the universe. He made time and space. He's not to be trifled with. Now that gives you a sense of um, of Saul's reaction. Now, here's what I want to do is I want to spend a little. I just want to spend a moment and look at David's reaction. You remember the sin we talked about with David and how awful and how heinous the sin was. Murder, rape, adultery, lots of other things we can name in David's life. And was David a valiant man? Yes, he was a great warrior. Did God empower him? Yes. Did David love God? Yes. So this isn't, we've got to be careful what we're talking about here, but listen to what God, listen to what happens. So, there's another prophet by the time David is like in his pinnacle, and his name is Nathan. And Nathan comes to, to David to confront David with all of that sin we talked about. Now, remember all that, Remember all the shenanigans we just talked about with Saul and all the different phases of what he's been willing to say or not say and when confronted by his sin? I want you to listen very carefully to this, this one sentence. In chap, this, is, this is 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, after David had been very skillfully confronted by Nathan. Nathan basically tells him a story, and he gets so enraged at the story and says, I'm going to kill the man in that story. And it's about David, and, D- he, and, and and Nathan says, "You are that man. You are the man." And David knew he'd been confronted by his sin. Listen to what this is. Verse. This is chapter twelve, verse thirteen. David said to Nathan, "Quote: I have sinned against the Lord. Period. Period. I have sinned." against the Lord. Now I want you to compare and contrast that to what you saw Saul do when confronted with his sin. In Psalm 51, David writes about this episode in his life when he was called to repentance. And I would I would offer for you to read this this afternoon if you think about it, Psalm 51. Have mercy. This is after he was confronted and he, can, and he said, I have sinned. And David repented. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Saul was all about justifying himself. Okay, maybe I'm a little wrong. Yes, I'll say I'm sorry, but I need you to justify me and make me look good. David, David, so that you may be justified and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. And verse 17, verse 16, "Um, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it, you will not be pleased with the burnt offering. And he's speaking metaphorically. He's saying, that's not nearly as important as what I'm about to say, which is the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So, David is a man after God's own heart. And if we, reject, if we can reject the narrative that seems to creep in when you just read like the cartoon Bible story and you look at actually what Scripture says and you just look at it, just see what kind of men they were and how they reacted to their sin before a holy God. That's the difference that I see. I don't see a difference in one sinned less than the other. I don't see a difference really in military I mean David had a longer period of military success, but they both were incredibly successful. That's this is the difference that I think scripture shows us. What is a man after God's own heart? What is a woman after God's own heart? It's it's someone who can who can pray and write the psalm like Psalm fifty-one. Because Whether you're looking in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the, the message is the same, that God loves us. If you are in Christ, He has promised you His steadfast love, which is love that will never run out. But, but what He does is He calls you to repentance, and then He also calls you to a life of humility before Him. Okay, So, whether you're reading Old Testament stuff, In Psalm 138, you can find that that God, it says, God um, has regard for the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. God is is calling people to himself to be lowly and humble. So if you, you I mean, we ought to be saying, okay, I, I want God to regard me. I need to learn what it's like to be lowly. If God, if that's who he, if that's who is close to his heart, then ask the Lord to help you understand and draw you in to be humble before Him. And as we see all through the New Testament, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. So the quality of a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, I think the Scripture reveals this to us. It is not somebody who is just a little bit better than the person beside them. It's someone who knows they are completely undone before a holy God. In Revelation, which I'll end with, um, the apostle John is captured on an island and he's writing Revelation from a vision that he's gotten. And in chapter one, he's he, he he turns around and sees this vision, this giant vision, terrifying vision of the glorified Christ. And it's everything from this white hair to these, you know, fire eyes and roaring voice and bronze feet for stamping out evil, just just this terrifying figure and it says that he turned around and he saw him, and he, that John fell down at his feet, Jesus' feet as though he were dead. It says like a dead man because he, he knew that is the only appropriate posture before a holy God. And what in Revelation 1 does it say that Jesus did in response to that. That he said, yeah, you're getting it. Stay down there. No, it says he lay, Jesus put his hand on him. He put his hand on him and said, do not fear. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys to death and to hell. God wants us close to Him and He's paid the price for us to be close to Him because without Jesus' suffering on the cross and paying for the sins of me, paying for the sins of you and all of your life, there is no way we can come. It's pointless to ask God for humility if we can't even be near Him. But He's made a way for us to be near Him. He's made a way for us to be in His family. If you, Some of you have grown up around the Bible all the time, I mean all, all your life and some of you I know are believers in Christ this morning. Some of you may not be and I'm here to tell you that it's being a Christian is not just about I got to be good, I got to be better because we can't do it without the Lord. And so if you don't know Christ, please come talk to me afterwards. Please come talk to Mark. Please come talk to whoever all your people are that you are your leaders or your fr- talk to your friends. Because unless you place your hope and faith in Jesus Christ to pay for your sins and you repent of your sins and say, I can't do it, you have to pay the price and I want to live with you in my heart, and you can do that this morning and I'm asking you to do it because there is, today is the day of salvation. There is no reason to wait. There is no reason to wait. So, um, and if you do know Him then take comfort that He loves you, that He has given you His steadfast love. He's paid the price for you, and He desires for you to be close to Him in humility. Yes, you're going to sin. Yes, we're called to obedience. But when we sin, He looks on you. Repentance is not turning away from your sin to trying harder. Okay, Repentance is turning from your sin and looking at the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how we can be humble. He invites us into that humility. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your love for us. Thank You for Your grace to us and Your kindness that You say in Your Word, Your kindness leads us to repentance. And I pray that You would lead us every day to repentance. You would open our hearts to where we have transgressed Your law, that You would let us grieve it and let us us be empowered by Your Spirit to live in obedience to You, Lord. But let us not take on the mantle of power that you have already declared over us that you have accomplished for us. And that is your work of salvation, Lord. Let us please um, learn what it means by your Spirit to have humble hearts before you. And I pray that you would do that so that your name and your name alone would be glorified in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.